Um, if you have uh, a Bible, I hope you do. Uh, today we are going to be uh, in Jonah. I'm going to go ahead and tell you uh, where it is because it's, it's short, right? It's a little, it's like a page and a half. Um, and if, if you're in Psalm, open the Bible to middle, it's Psalms, uh, and you start going right and the names get weirder and weirder. Uh, it's somewhere in there, right? Um, Obadiah, if you get an Obadiah, you're real close, like one page at a time, and you're going to get there. Uh, if you're a little past that, you're going to find Habakkuk and Nahum. If you get into familiar names like Matthew, Mark, Luke, you've gone too far. Back up to the weirder names. Uh, find yourself there. Uh, we're going to be there. We're starting a new series uh, on Jonah, um, which, um, you know, it's scheduled for, uh, I have it scheduled for five weeks, uh, which means, of course, uh, at BCC that we may be in Jonah for the rest of our lives. Uh, you know, you know. You know how it goes. That's how it goes. Uh, I, I would apologize, but I don't feel bad about it at all. Well, we sit down in the thing, and we just get so tied up in it. Uh, today almost got out of control, uh, so, uh, but I, I, I think I was able to wrangle it in. Uh, we're going to talk about Jonah. So uh, I've been thinking about a lot, and this, this is probably just the age that I am, change, right? Um, I mean, you know, there's, there's sayings about change, right, like popular, like, thing, you know, like, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, right? Like, 47, right? Like, am I going to learn, you know, to dress appropriately ever, right? Like, am I going to not wear children's shoes, right? Like, uh, am I going to, you know, uh, switch careers? Like, well, well, it, it, we think about change so much, and I think that's probably part of what, like, this, uh, the, the, the midlife crisis is, is this evaluation of your life and going, like, I need to make a change, right? And then there's also phrases like, um, uh, you know, people don't change, you hear that, right? Like, is this person going to change? Like, people don't change. They're, they are who they are. Uh, and so I've been thinking about that, about what it means to change, to, to take a different direction, to turn around, to evaluate the situation and go, you know what? I, I'm going to be different. I'm going to do different. Because I think that though, I think, I think one, of the fundamental, <laughs> one of the fundamental issues uh, with change and the, the thing that prevents us from changing or, or slows it down at least, is I think most of the time when we think about change, we mean change in circumstance. When we want change, we want circumstances to change, right? If this person would do this, if I had this, if this hadn't happened, if this would happened, well then, I would be great, you know, right? The Bible Talks about change of circumstance, praying for things, longing for things, talking about the whole world changing, but it also talks a whole lot about us changing. It's really crazy you get into the New Testament and all the letters that these people write trying to explain the implications and what it means to live in light of the fact, right, that this Jesus rose from the dead. Like, what does this mean now? And they're writing all these letters, and so often their answer is, is not, hey, like, see if you can change your circumstances, right? Change your way of thinking. No, it's be grateful for how you, where your circumstances. James opens, the, which I consider the worst opening to a letter ever. Uh, James is just like, hey, rejoice when you face sufferings of many kind. I mean, who even reads past that line? This guy's lost his mind. I'm not going to rejoice when I, pace, when, I, when I face suffering. But James is like, hey, look, here's the situation you're in. Here's how you deal with it. And it's what, he's, what they're pushing at, Peter is pushing at, what these people are pushing at is when you find yourself in this circumstance, yeah, you can pray for change of the circumstances, but you also need to change your heart and how you look at it and how you deal with these things. So 
it's not just changing circumstances, it's changing us, that we need to change. And the Bible's just full of, we should be different. Our heart should be different. And here's the good thing. We have so little control over our circumstances, we have a little more say in how we approach habits and life and change of our own thinking and feeling. We have a little more say in it, a little more influence there. We can do things. And Jonah, man, I think it's just so helpful in this area. It's, uh, it's this short little book, right? It's just so tiny, but it is, it's a masterful short story. Like it is just, uh, I am in awe at its structure. It's so rich and, and just full of wisdom. Um, but it suffered a little bit from um, oversimplification, right? In the kind of common, in our, in our thinking, um, because, uh, you know, I'm sympathetic to the fact that it's been oversimplified because it's a fascinating story about a dude who gets swallowed by a fish. Who doesn't want to hear that, right? Like, that's interesting. Tell me more about the dude who got swallowed by a fish, please. Um, and so it gets, but, you know, it's so complicated that, that it's just sometimes more interesting to, to oversimplify it. Um, the fish is only in three verses, by the way, right? Like, even though it's like the main thing we think about because it's the, maybe one of the weirdest things that happens, it's only in three verses. So it's not really about the fish. It also gets edited. <laughs> like chapter four, most, in most tellings of it, it gets just like the whole fourth chapter just gets left out uh, because it complicates the story a little bit. Um, it gets oversimplified into this dude named Jonah. Uh, God tells him to go to this place and say this thing. And uh, Jonah says no, and so God gets mad at him and sends a fish to swallow him. Uh, and then Jonah's like, all right, fine, I'll go. And then he goes, does the thing, and a bunch of people get saved, and the moral of the story is, like, if you just do what God says, like, everything turns out great. Don't run from God, right? And if you grew up in church at all, like, you've been told that you're running from God, like, that's just a thing that we're told, right? You're running from God, God's gonna get angry and swallow, make you swallow, get swallowed by fish. Uh, and then you're gonna do it anyway. So it's, Jonah suffers from that, I think, oversimplification, and we miss a little bit of... No, you know what? That's not true. We miss a ton of the depth and the beauty of this book. So Jonah uh, is, uh, it's a prophetic book, right? So if you think about how this Old Testament was organized, um, you had uh, these main, big main sections. Um, You had, is there a graphic? Let's throw the graphic up if it's up there. So everybody can see what I'm talking about. It's, yes, that one. So the Bible, the Old Testament was generally broken up this way. You had the Torah or the Pentateuch, the first five books of the, of the Bible, the, what would be called the law. When you hear Jesus talk about the law, people are often referring, to, or the New Testament talking about the law. They're usually referring to those first, four, first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's God creating this nation. This is an amazing, amazing story. Then you have the prophets. Sometimes people take the histories, like First and Second Kings, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Chronicles, and pull those out as history books. But they're kind of prophetic as well. You have the books of the prophets, uh, and then you have the writings uh, in the Old Testament. And the writings include Psalms and Proverbs and amazing stories like Ruth and and, and these just beautiful uh, Lamentations and Song of Solomon. These amazing writings that basically help us understand and apply and think through all of the things that we've learned in the law and from the prophets. 
So the prophets are actually broken up uh, uh, into two major sections. You have the former prophets, the bigger, the big guys, right? You have uh, the big ones, uh, uh, the longer ones, Isaiah, uh, uh, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. We have that slide. Yeah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. And then you have the book of 12, which actually in uh, some of the earliest things that we have actually show up on the same scroll. They would have, of course, originally been separate, but they show up on the single scroll as the book of 12, right? Uh, those are kind of grouped together and kind of because they have a similar message, they all kind of go together. So Jonah's one of these books, but Jonah's a little bit different than the other 11 because Jonah is a little bit, I don't know, man, it's not, it's, it's a little bit, it's, a, it's ironic, it's uh, comical in places. It's, it, it really almost approaches wisdom literature in that when we reflect on it, we gain more and more and more from it. It's a story that we're meant to read over and over and over again and learn from it over and over and over again. Gain wisdom about how to live from it. It's, four, it's broken up in four chapters in our Bibles. Uh, it's broken, and I think they've done it well. Uh, it's, uh, structure is amazing, though. Uh, so Jonah, uh, in chapter one, he uh, is told to do something from God. He says, nah, I'm gonna go the other way. Uh, and so God sends uh, uh, a storm and a fish to swallow him. Chapter two is a, a prayer. The whole thing is a prayer from the belly of a fish. How fascinating. Uh, it's Jonah praying, uh, and in three, he goes, and, he goes where he's supposed to go, and then in four, uh, he has a conversation with God, another prayer. So two and four are basically prayers. One begins, uh, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Three, chapter three begins, the word of the Lord came from Jonah, came to Jonah, uh, again, right? So it's this resetting. And then in chapter one and chapter three, we have him talking to people who aren't Jews. He talks to these sailors in chapter one and then talks to Ninevite in chapter three. It's clearly highly structured, intentional in the way it's designed to teach us something. It is really, really nerdy and cool. I love it. So you know what? Let's just read. Let's read. All right. Jonah chapter one, verse one. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. All right, let's stop there. Um, so uh, the word of, wait, remember when, when you see all caps in your Bible, that's, that's Yahweh. It's the uh, way of, it's the divine name Yahweh, just a, a way that we've done it for a long time. Uh, but I, I love it to, to just, it's, it says Yahweh right there. So now the word of the, of, of Yahweh came to Jonah. So Jonah uh, was a prophet. A prophet was someone that God had given a message to go and share with someone else. Go and say this thing. So you open up this book, you read chapter one, verse one, and you say, oh, this is about Jonah. Well, if you grew up steeped in the scrolls of the Bible, if you grew up in the Old Testament, if you grew up in the history of your people, if you were an Israelite and you read this, you're like, dude, I know who that is. I know Jonah. I know him from 2 Kings, right? In 2 Kings, uh, there's this story uh, of this guy named Jonah, and it's what it says in 2 Kings 14. We actually know who he is. Uh, Verse 23. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign. All right, this dude named Jeroboam is reigning uh, in Israel. He began to reign in Samaria, and he reigned for 41 years. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. 
He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which, uh, which he made Israel to sin. He restored the border of Israel, uh, he restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, and according to, the, according to the word of God, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from Gath Hephar. For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, for there was none left, bond or free, and there was none to help Israel. Man, so we're introduced to Jonah here. Uh, he is a prophet who God, who's working at the time of this dude uh, named Jeroboam, who's not a good guy, but God does this amazing thing where he restores the border of Israel through Jonah. Jonah brings the prophetic word to him, and he restores the, uh, the nation of the borders of Israel are preserved. So uh, I gotta do a little history. I'm gonna make it as short as possible, but I have to do it. I have to do it. It's necessary for us to understand because if you grew up in this world reading Jonah, you had a concept of the history and it mattered to how we understand Jonah. So buckle in. I'm gonna make it as short as possible, but you, there's some things you gotta know. First thing you gotta know is this. Uh, Israel as a nation. We think of it, in my head, it's kind of like Israel as a nation. It was actually only a nation, like one nation for a little while. Three kings, right? There's Saul and then David and then Solomon and that nation split in two. Uh, into, it, that's it right there. Into Israel and uh, Judah. You have the top, the northern kingdom is Israel, the southern kingdom is Judah. They're in a very important part of the world, right there on the Mediterranean Sea. If you think back to like fifth or sixth grade, right, you, you learn that, that Egypt's the Fertile Crescent and right there and then you have the, 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 uh, the Mediterranean Sea here, and then there's just desert over here. So if you want to get from up here to down here, you need to go down this part here because going across the desert is deadly. Very expensive and hard still to this day. And so they go down this little part where Israel is right there on the Mediterranean Sea, a very important part of the world. Nation splits in two, and you have Israel in the north and Judah in the south. Okay, That's the nation of Israel. They split in two, have two different kings, two different places. It's not a good situation. But that's what's happening. Well, over time, they get beat up by Assyrians and all different kind of people, and so their borders shrink, right? So here comes this dude, Jeroboam, not a good king, terrible, but God looks at the oppression of his people and says, you know what, I'm going to fix this, I'm going to help him out. And so he, he, Jonah prophesies that the borders are going to expand, so Jeroboam goes out and fights and expands the borders back to where they were under King Solomon. Actually, what's happening in history, we know the Assyrians who are up here, look at that. Way to go, whoever's on slides. Uh, the Syrians start conquering and they start wrecking all this, all this land, right? They start driving down, uh, d- down into Israel's territory, but, but they, they, they kind of like break up all the kings that are just to the north of Israel that have taken over, and so they weaken them, and then they, the Assyrians' attention gets distracted north, so Israel is able to then attack back and take some back, back some land. So they've expanded the border, driven out the people who are oppressing them, and Assyria has been pushed off. This is when Jonah is speaking. Assyria is ascending in power. Jonah is prophesying this time. By the way, there's other guys too. Amos, same time. Isaiah's not too far from around this time. All of these people. So Jonah's prophesying during this time about these people. All right, let's back to the text. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. All right, let's stop there. All right, so it's going gonna, it's gonna to get faster. You're, you're like, this, we are going to be here for the rest of our lives. Uh, no, it's going to go faster. But I, I have to, we have to set it up, right? Because the, the author is telling us something important. This isn't just like preview material. Like, it's important. So Nineveh is the capital Syria at the time. Uh, uh, Nineveh is the capital city of Assyria at this time. This nation we just talked about, this rising in power. 
And we've heard about Nineveh before in the Bible. If you were steeped in this material, you'd be like, whoa, Nineveh, that goes way back. Genesis chapter 10 is when Nineveh first shows up as a city. It's founded by this dude named Ham, which that probably had to have been hard, right? To be grow up in that name. So he's Ham, uh, and, uh, but he was a son uh, uh, of Noah. I don't know if you remember Noah, the flood, right? Another story that we tell the children that's super dark, right? Like, uh, you know, I don't understand. We tell, we tell these kids about Jonah and uh, Noah. Like, hey, here's a bath toy with a giraffe with a silly grin on it. And it's like, you know what's at the bottom of that bath? Dead people. Uh, it's a really dark story, but we give them to our kids anyway. So uh, yeah, same thing kind of with Jonah. Anyway, anyway sorry, I got distracted. Uh, so uh, Jonah, uh, uh, sorry, Noah goes through the flood, right? Passes through the waters, and he's like, offers a sacrifice in this weird passing through water, interceding as a priest pattern that the Bible just insists on bringing up over and over again, all the way to Jesus. Uh, and so um, he has these kids and his three sons, and uh, he, Noah gets drunk and uh, passes out because of, you know, all the people in the Bible are heroes. And uh, he's drunk, passes out, and his son does something horribly inappropriate to him. I was real vague about it, but whatever it is, the conclusion is it wasn't nice. And it wasn't good. And so John, Noah wakes up and is like, he curses him. He's like, nah, man, like you're done. All your kids forever. Like this is a bad, it's a bad, bad, bad deal. And so he curses him, and so he carries this curse. This dude goes off and he founds Babylon like Babylon, like, if you're just like the bad guys, the Babylon's just the bad guys. Now it's Babylon, and he founds Nineveh, that great city. That's how it says it in Genesis 10. Nineveh, that great city. So he's, this, is, this has been a bad city for a very long time. Matter of fact, it shows up, uh, Nahum talks about it. Nahum says it's a city that just runs, it's just founded on bloodshed. That's what he says. Uh, it goes on in uh, Jonah, even Jonah talks about it as a city whose evil is so bad, it's so awful that the cry has risen to God. That's how evil this and wicked this city is. That God says, I'm gonna destroy it. That's how evil and wicked this city is. And usually when the Bible talks about wicked and evil cities, what it is is it is the rich and the powerful oppressing the poor, building cities on the back of the weak. That's what it is. So God hears the cries of the weak and the poor. Its evil has come up against him. It is not a good city. It's often just brought up as wicked. It's like as an example of like a wicked place. Um, so in 1847, you're like, this dude will not let go of the history piece. Calm down, I'm almost done. In 1847, this archaeologist, uh, British archaeologist, uh, starts digging around in this area, and he actually comes up with uh, the palace of Sennacherib. Name, the, a name that shows up in the Bible, finds Sennacherib's palace. It's just unbelievable. But one of the things that's super interesting that he finds in this palace they uncover are these amazing reliefs. Their history, as they uh, interpreted it, <laughs> their history uh, carved into these walls, right? Just amazing, amazing carvings. You can see them. You can Google them and look them up online. Uh, I didn't show you, I didn't put them up there because uh, uh, it's a lot of them putting people on pikes outside of cities and filleting people in front of their enemies. That's what they were like. They have pictures. Well, you know, chiseled pictures, not like Polaroids, you know. They have pictures of, that they've drawn of how they would attack a city. They would catch people that were loose out in the city and they would take them and they would pin them to the ground and in the, within the earshot of the city, people on the walls looking down, they would cut them open. That's what Assyria would do. They would take them, they have pictures of it. 
and they would put them on these huge long poles and they would just lift them up in the air while they were still alive and put them in the ground. That's what the city, Assyria was like. Bad guys. So this is what happens. Jonah. Let's see if we can get further this time. Uh, chapter 1, verse 1. Now, uh, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city. Call out against it, for its evil has come up to me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, went on board, and to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. There was a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. They hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, had laid down, was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. They said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know upon whose account this evil has come on us. And so they cast lots, the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? What, are, what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And the men were exceedingly afraid. And they said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. I get that it's an intense scene, but it's also hilarious. Right, like it's a silly story, and I think it's intended to be a touch comical. I, I think the author's intent is for us to look at this situation and go, "Well, this is just plain silly." Right? Here's here's why I say that. Um, I say that because Jonah's a prophet. Like you read the first verse, you're like, "Jonah's a prophet." Okay, yeah, we know who that dude is. Great. Uh, God sent him to Nineveh. Outstanding news. Uh, go destroy that place. We like this story. Verse three, Jonah packs a bag and heads in the opposite direction. And so you're reading the story, you're like, I'm sorry, what? I mean, you're a prophet. Like, you've dedicated your life to knowing scriptures, to, to interpreting what's going on, to hearing from God. You get a message from God, and you go, okay, yeah, I'm gonna do the exact opposite of that. I don't want that. It's kind of silly, right? Not, not only is it silly that he goes in the opposite direction. Do we have a map up there, by the way? Let's look at, let's look at Jonah's life. Is there a map that has a Jonah's life in it somewhere? I apologize. Oh, yeah, this is a great one. So this is the world we're talking about right here, right? So he's from gath Hefar, right? You see on the left kind of page. Jerusalem, right? This is a city that's not mentioned. Uh, he, he's there, he, and God sends him over here to Nineveh, right? Babylon's down there. Nineveh, he's gonna send him like north, uh, northwest, north, northeast, uh, and instead he goes uh, southwest uh, to Joppa, hops on a boat to, we don't know where Tarshish is, but it's that way. And so it's just a silly situation where he's like, I'm not going to. And here, it's so silly because not only has he dedicated his life to God, not only is it silly because he's a prophet, it's silly because of what he believes is true. 
Like he gets on the boat, right? He buys a ticket and they're like, hey man, where are you headed? I'm headed, I'm headed to, you know, middle of nowhere, man, as far as you can get me, wherever you're going, right? Sounds like the start of a great blues song, right? Just get me out of here to the middle of nowhere, can't be here. And they go, why are you going there? And he goes, I'm running from God. And they're like, cool, hop on board. Then he's so confident, right? Like the storm comes and what's Jonah's response? Oh yeah, this is God's doing, he's sovereign. Right? Yeah, no, he's definitely doing this. And they're like, bro, what? And he's like, oh yeah. They're like, your God's doing this? It's like, oh yeah, he, uh, yeah, the God that I worship, yeah, I fear him. He made the land and he made the sea. Uh, yeah, he's in charge of all of this. Uh, yeah. And they're like, what are you doing, man? Like, have you lost your mind? And he's like, he goes on to say, he's like, yeah, you know what? If you want this to stop, just pick me up and throw me in the ocean. Uh, because, you know, yeah, this is God's doing. He has this unbelievable theology that God is sovereign, that God created all of these things, that God speaks to people, that God does things, and he instead just runs the other way. It's unbelievable. It's amazing. It's so silly that you could believe and profess these things are true. I mean, he probably, like, I I bet just fields and flowers and Bible verses backed by Point of Grace songs on his Instagram page, right? This dude just got it nailed, right? You look at his life and you're like, this is the guy I want leading our Bible study, right? He's like, no, I know all the things, man. I've studied it in depth. And then one day, God shows up and tells him something that somehow offends him so deeply, upsets him so deeply, that he goes the other way. I think the reason is, obviously, they're they're bad people, right? We talked about that. There's that, that they're bad people. But I think that got oversimplified until he's, like, Jonah's afraid, right? If you eliminate verse 4, you're like, well, he was afraid. Didn't he just trust God to take care of him? Nope, that's not what went on either. You also just go, he's racist, right? He only thinks that God is for Israel, and God certainly uh, is for uh, the world. But I think Jonah knows that. I don't, I don't think it's that God, he doesn't want anybody else but, uh, but Israel to hear about it. I think he specifically hates the Ninevites for a reason. One is they're evil. You know what, he, he actually says it. He actually tells you why. In chapter four, which is why so you can't cut out chapter four. So chapter three ends in this like Rudy moment, right? Like, they, like they're like, you expected to end with like, and they picked up Jonah and carried him out of the Nineveh and prayed him around on their shoulders and like, nah, Jonah, Jonah. It doesn't end that way, right? So he prays, there's this huge revival. The whole city repents. It's unreal what happens in chapter three. Chapter four starts this way. I love this one. It's not, it's not funny, sorry. But it, deple- it displeased Jonah greatly, exceedingly. And he was angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is this not what I said to you when I was in my country? This is why I made haste to fly to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious God, a merciful God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore, O oh Lord, Take my life from me. It's better for me to die than live. And the Lord says, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city, sat to the east of the city, built a booth for himself, sat in the shade to see what would become of the city. This dude goes, 
preaches what God tells him to preach, says what he wants to say. The whole city repents from their evil. The king gets off of his throne and puts ashes on. And Jonah goes outside the city and says, man, I hope he burns this place to the ground anyway. So yeah, it's an evil place. It does evil things and does bad things. But also, I mean, maybe Jonah, being a prophet, knows that Jonah's, uh, Nineveh's repentance doesn't stick. It doesn't last generations. Matter of fact, it's not going to be too many generations before Assyria invades and destroys Israel. It takes people off into captivity. People that Jonah knows, his friends, his countrymen, are going to be invaded by this same country and this nation in not that many years. The bad things, there are pictures of Hebrews, Jews, the Israelites, being tortured in Sennacherib's palace. Maybe Jonah knows this is coming. Maybe, Maybe Jonah looks at this situation and says, I know all these things about you, God, but all of a sudden God puts something in front of him that he says, you know what? There's no way possible that anything good can come from this. You're going to save, I know you are, if I go and I preach, I know you're going to save them. And then when I save them and, I, and, and they repent, they are not, you're not going to destroy them and, and, and they're going to go back to their, next generation is going to go back to their ways and they are eventually, this ascending power will eventually come and take over Israel. Have you lost your mind, God? There's no way any good can come from any of this. No way am I going to be a part of it. This book is just full of things that we're going to explore over the next few weeks, months. There's questions about how do justice and mercy go together? I mean, justice demands that Nineveh be destroyed for the evil they've done. How do they get mercy? There's questions about who gets grace. There's questions about who gets to repent. There's questions about how any of this works. There's questions about what God is like. We're going to see these beautiful, beautiful, and explore these huge, huge themes of God's grace and mercy for the whole world. He certainly is an internationalist for everybody knowing about this. You're going to see God's response to the weakness, rebellion, sin, to opposition. You're going to see that he's great, gracious, that he is forgives. I love it so much because it's a story how it's just like, so it's the story about Nineveh repenting. That would be enough, right? But here's the question that I, I, that I just want to, that we're going to come back to over and over again. Does Jonah repent? I mean, the fishermen do. I mean, sorry, the sailors do. Nineveh does. Does the prophet? I mean, the whole book ends with a question. He says, uh, do I well, do well to be angry? And this is how the whole whole book ends. Should I not pity Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also as much cattle? 
That's how the book ends, with a question for us to consider what Jonah's response is. Because yes, he goes and preaches. This is the interesting thing, right? So the fish comes and gets him, which by the way is not an instrument of God's anger, but of his salvation. We'll get there. Uh, And spits him out, which is just gross. Uh, And he goes to Nineveh and preaches. He does what God told him to do, but did he repent? I think we we live in a world where... Man, a time, right? A time. We live in a time when repentance would be so helpful. If we just could, if we could understand repentance, I, I think we would, we would just be so much better off. We, we, we resist repentance because it's hard. Re- repentance is a turning, right? It's a turning around, a turning from trusting my own thinking, a turning from trusting my own idea, my own assessment of the situation, and turning to trust God, to have faith in him no matter what. So since sin entered the world, right, this great story in Genesis 3 that we go back to all the time, because it's so helpful, uh, Adam and Eve, God's told them not to eat of the fruit, right? This is the thing, don't eat of the fruit, the tree of knowledge of all the other fruit, yeah, but not this tree, not this tree. And they look at the fruit and go, well, it's beautiful. Look at the fruit. It's beautiful. Surely God doesn't want to deny me things that are beautiful. And then they look at the fruit and they go, what's good for nourishment? If I eat it, I'll be nourished. God wants me to be nourished, right? And then they look at the fruit and go, also, like, if I eat it, I'll gain wisdom. God wants me to be wise, right? So trusting their own thinking and their own assessment of the situation, their own way of understanding the world, I must have this. They take and they eat, and sin enters the world. The realization that we are not really qualified to understand what's good for us. That God is so much better qualified. They look at the situation and they make that assessment for themselves. Jonah does the exact same thing. He looks at the situation and says, if they repent, they will conquer Israel. It's been prophesied that this would happen. They're going to take out my people. There's no way that this is good. And he judges for himself that I'll have no part of this. And he runs the other way. The thing that leads him to run away is an assessment of the situation that God is going to do a thing that he thinks is bad, that he can't trust as good, that he can't trust as loving. That's why he runs, and it's why I run, right? It's why we run, isn't it? That we look at a situation and go, there's no way God wants that. There's no way God wants me to do that with my money. How could I be happy if I did that with my money? How could I, do, how could I be happy if I did that with my time? How could I be happy if I gave that up? Like, surely to be happy, I have to make an assessment of who I am and what is good for me. To be happy, I have to have this and this, be this, do that, and God looks at the situation and says, those are all, like, no, like, trust me. And we look at what he says to us so many times in so many different areas of our life, and we say, no, I have to have this to live a life that's fulfilled, and God says, it's not good for you, and you go, I have to have it. And repentance would be so good. I I know none of you do this, uh, but you know someone who does. uh, Makes the same bad decision over and over again. You know what I'm talking about? So high school, right? Or when you're in school, whatever you're in school, high school, college, whatever, after school, you knew people 
they kept dating the different version of the same person over and over again, and you're like, what are you, stupid? Like, what are you doing? Like, what are you, what are you doing? Why do you date this exact same person? Like, do you see how this is the same person? Like, what are you doing? And you look at them, and you're like, what are you, or they keep making, they keep, they keep making the same behavioral mistake over and over again, you just want to look at them and go, what are you doing? This never works out good for you. Why, why are you doing this? And, and, and we're so easy, to, it's so easy to notice that in other people, and I know you guys don't do this, but I do it so often where I find myself in a pattern of behavior expecting a different result and wondering why I don't. And the reason that we don't is we get so trapped and so caught up in the idea that I know what is good for me despite all of the evidence in my entire life that every time I go off in my own direction that things go really, really badly for me and those around me, despite all that evidence, I'm like, right, but I have to have this to be happy. This time will be different. Because there's no way God would want to do things that way. That doesn't make any sense. This is clearly what God wants for me. And no matter what we believe about God, this book is about, somebody said it this way, Jonah's about the disturbing possibility that having pledged our life to God, we could end up spending much of that life avoiding the God we set out to serve. That makes me feel bad inside. I don't like that commentary anymore. We could know all the right things, say all the right things, and then choose to do differently. Here's the thing. Jonah believes that God is sovereign. Jonah believes that he made the sea, that he made the waves. Jonah believes that he made the land. Jonah believes that God is everywhere. Jonah believes that God is kind and gracious, that he's slow in anger, and he's steadfast in his love. He believes all of these very true things about God, and he serves him. But he also believes there's no way that if the Ninevites repent and take over Israel that God could still be good. And he just believes that a little bit more. He believes that more. And you know how I can tell? By the fruit of his life. By what he chooses to do. You can tell what he believes more about what he chooses to do. Yeah, I believe God's sovereign, but I'm gonna go do this anyway. But that sounds insane. Doesn't matter. I'm going to do it anyway. And you and, and me, uh, I'm sorry to report, uh, it's us too. I believe this, I believe this, I believe this, I believe this, but I also believe this other thing that I'm not willing to let go that leads me to live contrary to all the things that I just said. And it produces certain fruit in my life. And the reason repentance is so hard is because it feels like a death letting go of this thing that I hold so tightly, if I just had this relationship, if my life just looked like this, if I didn't have this, if this hadn't happened, if this, and all these things that we have almost no control over, we try so hard to hang on to them, and if we would just die to them daily and repent and trust God that we could actually live a life that our father, when we meet him, says, well done, my good and faithful servant. And the eternal life of God flows into us, even though our life looks completely different than how we thought it was. If we could just have that faith to turn around, Jonah says that he's faithful. Jonah says that he forgives. Jonah says that he loves. Jonah says that he is so gracious that he gives chance after chance after chance after chance 
that he's gonna work through this destruction and through all the things that are gonna come, through the repentance of Israel, through the destruction of Israel, and through all of this, he's gonna bring his son into this world. And by faith in Jesus, when we turn our hearts to him, when we look at him and say, I think this guy seems to know how to better run my life than I do. When I look at him and say, you know what? You know what? Here, here it is. The hero of this story is not Jonah. You know who one of my favorite characters in the story? We're not even there, but I'm just gonna go ahead and tell you. When the king of Nineveh hears about the destruction of God that's coming, you know what he does? He gets off of his throne and he covers himself in ashes. That's it. We look at Jesus and go, you know what? I'm gonna get off the throne of my life. You sit here now and I'm gonna cover myself in ashes. I think we mistake in repentance for feeling bad and we mistake repentance for regret and repentance is its own thing where we get off of the throne, cover ourselves in ashes, die to the thing that we held so dearly. I have to have this. And we die to that to give what the king offers instead. And what he offers is this eternal life that flows in that I know that there's sometimes we look at what he says and how he teaches us to do and what fruit is supposed to produce in our life. And we look at it and go, there's no way that's the way. Jonah shows us that it is. The rest of scripture shows us that it is. Jesus' death and resurrection shows us that this is the way. Turning over the control and the sovereignty of our life to one who is far better, better qualified. We think of repentance as this horrible negative thing, this admitting that we've gone wrong and the shame and all the things that come with us. And you know what? There is this hard part to it. But true repentance on the other side, man, it's a joyful song. It's a joyful, joyful song. Repentance sings when we turn in faith to Christ. It is what is good and beautiful for us. It is what he desires for us. The things that you're looking for in all of those other places, God promises us those things that are out of your control, you can have those deeper and better in me. And we just come to him in faith. The love that you're looking for, the acceptance the joining together, all of the things that we're longing for, that we were made for, that we're created for, the life of God flowing into us is a far, far, the only way to have those things. Far better than the way that we're looking for them. I know sometimes it looks like the way God's called us is to death. And here's the reality. It is. It is. Jesus says these crazy things out loud like, if you want to follow me, uh, pick up your cross and die daily. But on the other side of that death, to that thing that we hold so dearly, that thing that we won't forgive, that person we can't let go of, whatever it is, the thing on the other side of that is so much better than the thing that we lose in dying. Peace, joy, all of these things, gentleness, self-control, love, mercy, all of these things grow in the soil of the idols that we put to death. I'm looking forward to Jonah. Let's pray. Father, uh, you are so good in teaching us and showing us what repentance looks like and teaching us and showing us what life in you looks like and, and showing us what you were like. A God who pursues us A God who comes after us, chases us down, puts us on the right path, and then teaches us about you? Uh, Give us hearts to worship you, hearts to understand 
that your way is so superior to ours, that your path is the right and only good way, not to the right, not to the left, but following you. Who you are and what you've told us to do is the plan. So may we abandon our own plans of fulfillment in life and instead trust you. Trust you to bring us the things that we're looking for in other places. Trust you that repentance, though hard, though turning is difficult, that it is joyous on the other side. Give us faith. We have faith. Increase our faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.